please take your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll remain standing as we read the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, that which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. And Lord, we just pray even this morning that you would bless the preaching of your word that it would be applied to the hearts of your people by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time I was here, a great privilege it was to, to serve you. Uh, I very much enjoy uh, being able to come down here. Uh, I know that some of you are bummed out that my children and the rest of the family couldn't make it today. I had to fly solo this morning. Uh, but it is a real joy and blessing to be here. And I thank you for your kind and generous hospitality towards me and the, the warm welcome my family received just a few weeks ago. This morning we will pick up basically where we left off two weeks ago as we considered the armor of God applied and we will finish up this passage of scripture here focusing primarily on verses 18 through 20. Paul's words here to the Ephesians. But understand this, brothers and sisters, we have been called to war. And this battlefield that we are called to uh, fight in is in our homes, it is in our hearts, it is in our minds, it is in the sphere of public opinion, in the Aeropagus of Athens to the coffee shops of South County, and even in the workplace. We war against sin, self, and Satan. We fight for the winning side, we know this, the kingdom of God. We strive for the advancement of the kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel, trusting that the Holy Spirit will effectually call His elect and bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Our battle is for the souls of men and women, but it is also a battle for our own personal growth and holiness, as well as in corporate discipleship. We are all to be growing more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves as we battle. As the years pass, we are to be going through this metamorphosis, through the renewing of our minds. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are to be transformed. And praise God that we have not been left to our own devices to figure this out on our own. 
or to fight this war that the Apostle calls the good fight of faith. We have been prepared for this war that we face. And what we would notice here in Ephesians chapter 6, this is the Apostle's charge in verses 10 through 13. Just to remind you as we get up to verse 18 of the context here. Paul would tell these Ephesians, after he's given them this whole body of doctrine, up until chapter 6 now, he's, well, really 4, 5, and 6, he's bringing it all to practical, and it's coming to a helm here in chapter 6. He would have them to understand their call in verse 10, to be strong in the Lord. From understanding the call, they need to recognize the challenge, and we must recognize our challenge, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against the schemes and forces of Satan, verse 12. If you do not know who the enemy is and what his tactics are, you are ripe for defeat. From understanding our call to recognizing our challenge, embracing our charge, verse 13. Stand firm. Stand firm as the people of God. No compromise on truth. No softening. No backing down. God has supplied us with the full set of armor from which the word panoply comes. We have the complete armor of God to wage war, and that's what the apostle would describe in detail in verses 14 through 17. Literally from head to toe, from helmet to shoes, we are covered and equipped in the armor that God supplies. And the last time I was here, we considered the armor, the armor applied. Understand this, the armor supplied is to be the armor applied in our lives. And while it is the uh, vivid picture here of each piece of armor, a thought that comes to mind as I would consider all the various components of the armor that God supplies to us, that He has given to us, the question I ask myself is, what keeps the armor on? What is it that keeps the armor of God fastened to us in our lives? We may have the helmet of salvation for our heads, but what is it that keeps it strapped to your head after a severe blow from the enemy? When the sword of the Spirit feels heavy and circumstances in life cause your grip to feel weak, what is it that keeps that sword securely fastened in your hand? I would submit to you this morning that the armor, of, the armor is applied through us understanding and exercising every piece. The armor stays fastened through prayer. And so two headings I would give for you this morning is under the armor fastened, and then in verse 18, and then we would see in verse 19 and 20, the armor displayed. So consider with me the armor fastened. Paul says in verse 18, we will read it again, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. As we apply the spiritual armor of God, we must strive to always keep it securely fastened. Prayer, brothers and sisters, is the fastener of the armor. Notice here that as Paul is describing each piece, he does not mention prayer as a piece of an armor because it is in its own category. Prayer permeates every piece of the armor of God. It is not specific to a certain location or use. 
think of prayer as the buckle on the belt of truth. Uh, recently, I had a, uh, a pair of uh, shorts that were uh, bought for me, and they have the, the kind of the belt that's built into it that kind of snaps together. And every time these pair of shorts go through the wash, one part of the buckle always falls off. And it's frustrating. I, I get my shorts out, and I put them on, and I can't fasten the belt because I don't have the buckle. And so I have to go looking for it, and I find it and refasten it, and, and, and it works then. But think of prayer as though the buckle on the belt of truth, or the, the fasteners on the breastplate of righteousness, as we are to put on this righteousness. What keeps it fastened? It is through prayer. The laces on the shoes of the gospel uh, of peace. How effective are shoes without laces? They'll get you somewhere, but it won't be as effective. Think of prayer as the handles on the shield of faith, the straps on the helmet of salvation, the grips on the sword of the Spirit. Through intentional, deliberate prayer, each piece of the armor of God is securely and properly fastened. I would say that a prayerless Christian is an ill-equipped warrior. So we must ask the question here then, so what then is prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is the language of dependence. We would all agree. It is a consciousness of spiritual matters. Prayer is engaging in warfare. And so Paul gives this exhortation here in verse 18, the exhortation to the warrior who has applied the armor of God. And let's walk through this verse here. He would say first, and let's ask the question of when. When are we to pray? Verse 18, at the very beginning, he says at all times. In preparing for battle, pray. In the evil day, we would see, we are to stand firm, we are to pray even in the evil day. When you rise and when you go and when you lay down, we are to pray. We are to pray at all times. I think about Deuteronomy 6 as it talks about as a father is instructing a child. As you go, by the way, as you rise, as you lay down, you are talking about the Lord. You are instilling God consciousness in the young people. We do also in our own lives. It is through prayer that we are living out a God consciousness. We are to be praying at all times. Spurgeon said, it is Well said that neglected prayer is the birthplace of all evil. No doubt this is why Paul would tell the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Again, Spurgeon would say, pray until you can pray. Have you ever struggled in prayer? Have you ever struggled with even the thought of prayer? Have you ever struggled with feeling like your prayers just make it to the ceiling and bounce back down? Spurgeon says, pray until you can pray. Pray to be helped to pray. And do not give up praying because you cannot pray. For it is when you think you cannot pray, that is when you are praying. We are to pray at all times. We must also understand this, that prayer is not an excuse for inaction. Sometimes the, 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 the Christianese uh, slogan or, or words that have been used is, well, I'll pray about that. And sometimes, I'm not saying always, but sometimes that is used as a deflection and a cop-out. 
to kind of to, to push something aside. Well, maybe I will pray about that, but it's often used as a term of dismissal. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not an excuse for inaction. Prayer is to lead to action. So then let us ask, when are we to pray? The Apostle gives it to us here, at all times. I would not advocate for assuming a traditional prayer posture while you are driving. That would be dangerous. But you can still pray. Living with a God consciousness, ever mindful of the omnipresence and omnipotence of our God. So first we would see when we are to pray at all times. Second, where? Where are we to pray? The Apostle would say, in the Spirit. In this term that he is using here, he is denoting a a, a sphere or a location. He's not talking about some sort of charismatic, mystical prayer language. In the Spirit, it denotes where we are to pray. Quite literally, prayer is not confined to the church, to the midweek gathering. It is not in Jerusalem or on this mountain. We must understand that as the born-again people of God, Christ has given us His Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ dwells within us. His Holy Spirit has been poured out on us without measure. Up until this point here, we're jumping in at the very end of Ephesians, but uh, the, the Ephesians who have received this letter have been given much on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit throughout this letter. Time would not permit to go through all of this, but what they have been exposed to even here. This, the Holy Spirit, He is the promised Holy Spirit that comes to dwell within the believer. He is our seal. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we receive possession of it. He is the Spirit that intercedes for us in our prayers. So we pray in the Spirit with His help in accordance with with the will of God in accordance with the revealed will of God in Scripture. It is only in and by the Holy Spirit that we can truly pray, Your will be done, and actually mean it, and truly desire it. Oh, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you a prayer every morning when you rise, Not my will, but yours be done. And as you go through your day, not my will, but yours be done. And as you would lay down at night, reflect on your day, and even into the night, not my will, but yours be done. We are never more like Christ than when we pray like Christ. So let me ask even now, where is the appropriate place for us to pray? Wherever you are. Wherever you are, in the corporate meeting, in your prayer closet, as you go throughout your day. Now, some places are more conducive and less distracting than others to pray. Or sometimes it is just a quick word without all the formalities. Again, it is mindfulness at times of just the omnipresence of God. You know, I was, um, this was probably. Uh, early spring, I was, I was doing something around the house and I, I looked out uh, the window and I saw my oldest son, uh, he's, six, he's six, and uh, he had, I don't know, I think he had like a tennis racket in his hand, he was standing in the driveway and he kept doing this and he was mumbling something. 
And if you've spent time with little children, you know they're peculiar. They are, they are a strange bunch. Um, I, 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 we were never like that. And so I, I took notice of this, and I thought, this is just a very strange thing that I'm observing. And so I went about my business. I was doing some other things. And then, I don't know, a couple minutes pass, and he's made his way from the driveway around the back of the garage at the parsonage, and he's now in the backyard, and he's still got the tennis racket, and he's walking around, and he's, he's doing this, and he's mumbling. I thought this is this is continuing. I, this is this is this is very very strange. So I walked out onto the back deck and I was going to call for him, but I decided you know maybe I'll just instead of him coming to me, I'm going to go up to him. So I walk up to him and I say, uh, Harrison, what are you doing? Yeah. He says, Oh, I'm I'm talking to my friend. And I thought, Okay, yeah, here's a he's got an imaginary friend now. And I said, Oh, what's his name? God. And I froze. I, I, I thought, you know, what do I say? So uh, how the words came out, I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, I was thanking God for my toys. I was walking around. I was thanking God for my driveway. And then as I made it around the back of the house, I was looking at my yard, and I was thanking God for a big yard to play in. And I was convicted. I don't thank God for my driveway, for my toys, or for my yard. And I learned so much from that six-year-old there, and I realized that I was probably the peculiar one at that moment. And he knew that he could pray wherever. That God is there. He was mindful that God is listening. Oh, to have faith like a child. So where are we to pray in the Spirit? Notice here what we are to pray for, the content of our prayers. It is good to give God thanks for all the many blessings that we have received. Paul would say here specifically in verse 18, he would say, with all prayer and supplication. This is what we are to pray for. This prayer in a general sense, Paul uses here. He says, prayer is the approaching of God, is approaching God. And it includes confession. We've gone through it even this morning. Confession, repentance of sins, pleas for help, guidance, wisdom, intercession, discernment. Prayer is the word of people directed to God who have been transformed by the word of God directed to people. With all prayer and supplication, commune with the triune God. And then he uses this word supplication, petitions, humble requests, a begging or a pleading with God in earnest. Oh, we don't bring our petitions just once. We don't bring our supplications just once before the throne of grace. Let us beg with earnest, pleading. Christian, we are to wrestle with God in prayer just as Jacob wrestled. We are to labor, we are to pour out our blood, sweat, and tears into the task. And let us be specific in our prayers. We are good at offering general prayers. Let us be laser-focused and specific in what we are to pray for. Here is a good prayer of supplication. To whom it might apply to, O God, that you would save my spouse. That you would, you, would, you would bring the gospel to bear upon my parents, upon my children, my neighbors, my co-workers. That they would be convicted of their sins and they would turn 
and see the beauty of Christ. They would lay hold of Christ by faith. Lord, Lord, may it be that with the armor fastened, that you would use me as a tool in your hands to accomplish your plans. Here's a good specific prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. With all prayers and supplication, this would include intercessory prayer for the lost. Oh, so often we get frustrated with the things we see going on outside and all around us. Does that frustration lead you to your knees? Pleading and interceding for the lost. Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, a text we use often in corporate worship and that we form our pastoral prayers by. First of all, then I urge that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So understand it is not only important to know when and where to pray, but also what we are to pray for. Christian, you might feel at a loss for words at times when you pray. I would encourage you to look around you. To look around and pray and ask God to reveal the hurting people all around you. The situations that we face. Ask God to reveal what is in you. That is a dangerous prayer. Search my heart, O God. And remember that prayer does not change God, it changes you. We have heard it said, and I believe it's true, we do not believe in the power of prayer, but we believe in the power of God, so we pray. Notice then now how we are to pray. How we are to pray. Verse 18, with all perseverance. What the Apostle says here is to keep a watchful eye out for the battle that is going, all, going on all around you. Don't grow dull. Don't let the, your senses uh, grow complacent. Like a soldier on night watch, stay alert. A soldier that would, to, would, would fall asleep on duty, it would be dangerous. Not only dangerous, he would have to give an account for that. We are to, to, to pray with all perseverance with all your might, with all your strength, with all your power. This same word here, perseverance, Jesus would use in Luke 21, 36. And he says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake. Stay alert. Literally, this word means against catching sleep. Do not grow indifferent. Christian, maybe there was a time in your life where you were more faithful in prayer. Maybe you were more quick to pray. Diligent and disciplined in prayer. But now a fog maybe has overcome. And we've gone through these seasons. Prayer might be more of a duty than a delight for you in your life. Oh, I would encourage you to pray, to turn back. May the prayer be one of repentance. God, restore to me. The joy of my salvation, restore to me the love for prayer, to commune with you. Pray for renewal in your life. Be alert for the battle that is going on all around you, in your homes, in your neighborhood, 
in your church, in your state, in your country. Pray with all perseverance. Be prayerful. Keep the armor fastened. And lastly, we would see under the armor fastened here, Paul would talk about specifically whom we are to pray for. Paul would say with all perseverance at the end of verse 18, making supplication for all the saints. We are to make intercessory prayer a top priority in our lives. And specifically for all the saints. It is important to remember that Paul is very clear back in chapter 2 that Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. He has brought the, the reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, the, the, the two ethnic divides that there was no greater hostility between the two. And Jesus, in him, tears down the wall of hostility. It's temple language there. And he brings them together so there is one people, there is one church, there is one Savior, and there is unity found only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is, and Paul says here to pray for all the saints. It means you Jewish believers are to pray for the Gentile believers. You Gentile believers are to pray for the Jewish believers. And there's not to be a distinction among the body of Christ in this way, regardless of your and how we can understand this, because we don't face too much of the Jew-Gentile divide, but understand this. It is regardless of your place of birth, the melanin levels in your skin, the ethnic or cultural upbringing. If you are a saint in Jesus Christ, you are to pray for all the saints. And if you are a saint of Jesus Christ, in Christ, you are to be prayed for by all the saints. We do recognize that Christianity is the most exclusive and inclusive religion in the entire world. What do I mean by that? Exclusively, there is one way. There is one truth. There is one life. There is only one way to God, and it is through the merits of His Son, Jesus Christ. There are no back doors in. I'm reminded of Pilgrim's Progress, of those that were along the way, and as Christian is going along the way, there were those that did not go through the narrow gate, but jumped onto the highway. There is no bypass to get in. It is only through the narrow gate. It is through the person and work of Jesus Christ that we can know God and that we can live out this truth. Exclusively, we say one way. Inclusively, we say to all people without distinction. To all people without distinction, you are invited to come. Male, female, young, old, white, black, western, eastern, northern, southern. All are welcome through the one way. And we are to pray for all the saints. This means even the thorny ones, the rough around the edges ones, the loud ones, the ones that are early on the road to sanctification, that might have just got through that gate, the ones that might have a slightly different theological interpretation than what we do. Because we must understand at one time we were the thorny ones. We were the loud ones. We were at one point the ones early on our road of sanctification. And we are thankful for those grace-filled brothers and sisters that were patient with us and prayed for us as we are to do likewise. Do you know a Christian that doesn't need to be prayed for? I do, but they're all dead. I do not know a living Christian that does not need prayer. We are to pray for all the saints. And why is this important? Because prayer unites our hearts together. 
It binds us as the army of God in this place. Prayer takes our eyes from being inward to upward and outward. Let me encourage you here by just a few applications. Do not pray in isolation. Do not pray only in isolation. Pray in community. Pray with your brothers and sisters that you've entered into covenant fellowship with. I would submit to you that the day that you stop praying, the armor begins to loosen. You might not be defeated in day one, but it is only a matter of time before you will be lay completely vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. Prayerlessness is the path to apostasy. Guard yourself. Stay grounded. Stand firm. Remain fastened. This is the armor of God fastened. And notice here in verses 19 and 20 how the apostle himself displays this armor. He would say, and also for me, adding, pray also for me, not just everybody else, but I'm one of all the saints too. And he says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I find these verses to be extremely convicting. These two verses give us a picture of what a soldier of Christ looks like. Paul shows us here in these two verses the armor of God displayed. The first thing I would make note of here in the qualities that Paul shows us is that he demonstrates dependence. He demonstrates dependence. He would say, pray that words would be given to me. He knows that strength is needed for where he is at in this situation that he is facing. He knows that words, must, words are needed to come to him from the Lord through the prompting of the Holy Spirit that dwells within him. He knows that he is dependent upon what God gives. The Christian in complete armor knows and continues to live in dependence upon the Lord for strength in the fight. Notice also, the apostle displays courageous conviction not, not only demonstrating dependence, but courageous conviction. He says that opening his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I'm reminded of what the apostle would say in Philippians. He has this single-minded focus, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward to what lies ahead, I press on. That he says that I would not cave under the pressure that I'm facing in this moment, that I wouldn't sit in the corner and be silent. We know the condition of the apostle right now. He's in a Roman prison. He said that I, would not, that I would be one that would go on the offensive with courage, conviction, clarity to boldly proclaim the truth that is found in Jesus and all the implications that would flow from it. He has courageous conviction here. Brothers and sisters, we must look at this and understand we cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. Passivity is a failure. We must be willing to boldly proclaim, today we fight. Paul is just talking about being obedient. A third aspect we would see from the apostle here is faithful suffering. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, that I may declare the gospel boldly as I ought to speak, as it is my obligation to do so. We understand Paul is in Roman custody as he speaks here. He is likely in a prison with a single chain that has chained him or attached him to another soldier. And he says, I am an ambassador chained because of the bold proclamation of the gospel. I want to step back for a minute and I think about his situation and I ask the question, what would I do if I was faced in the same situation? Brothers and sisters, what would you do in this situation? Would we think that the suffering is too great? Maybe I'll just stay quiet until I get released because if I'm in here for the sake of the gospel, maybe if I'm just a little, if I'm quieter and I, and I just keep my mouth shut, I can get back out and then I can share the gospel more. Maybe thinking, oh God, why am I here? I could tell more people about you if I got out. God certainly doesn't want me to suffer in this place. None of these thoughts seem to cross the apostle's mind. No, Paul says, I need words. I need boldness. Because maybe he is feeling pressure. Maybe the suffering could be weighing on him. It is lonely in that situation that he is facing. Yes, he's had friends come to him before. Epaphroditus and Timothy have come and visited him and ministered to him, but they're not there forever. But he, Paul recognizes even in this moment, yes, I am an ambassador in chains, but that I would declare the gospel boldly. I like how he says, declare. When we think of the gospel, it is a declaration. The gospel is not a suggestion, it is not a point of view, it is not simply just a way or even a presentation. It is a declaration, it is a proclamation that Jesus Christ is King, that Jesus is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, that He is the suffering servant, He is God in the flesh, He is the highly exalted one who laid down His life for enemies and sinners. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. All authority in, on, in heaven and on earth resides in him. This is Paul's message. Jesus is king, Caesar is not. And our response to this message, this message of the gospel is very clear. We are to repent and believe. We are to lay hold of Christ by faith. We are to repent, really, metanoia, really this turning away from that which is evil that which is sinful, that which nailed our Savior to the cross. We are to repent and believe, turn to Christ in faith, lay ourselves before the mercy of Jesus. And we trust in a good and gracious King that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and welcomes us with arms wide open because He is worthy. And so Paul displays here, even in these verses, that he is the soldier wearing the full armor, fastened by prayer as he suffers faithfully. And we know, brothers and sisters, that suffering is a part of our lives. It is par for the course as a Christian. 2 Timothy 3, 12, we know the author who wrote this, Paul. He would say, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He had the credit to say that. None better than our Lord Himself. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you 
when others revile you and persecute you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brothers and sisters, if you suffer for the sake of the gospel for Jesus Christ, know this, you stand in good company. You stand in a long line of godly men and women. You stand in an unbroken chain of discipleship that goes all the way back to the apostles and to Jesus Christ. And so finally here, as we would bring even this message to a close, notice how Paul displays every piece of the armor. In these two verses, we see that he is immersed and he is guided by truth. It is truth that drives him, not his situation, not his circumstances, not his suffering. I think it's Harry Reader who says that circumstances don't define our character. They only serve to reveal it. And what we see in the apostle here is his circumstances are revealing who he is. In these two verses, we almost see the transparency that we can look right into Paul's heart and see what makes him tick, what drives him. And it is the truth of the gospel. As he would even say to the Ephesian elders, I have accounted my life of no value. Only that he would proclaim the gospel of God. So he is immersed and guided by truth. The belt of truth is firmly fastened. This entire letter that we see as he's sitting there chained to a soldier. I thought about that soldier, maybe that day, that Paul wrote this letter. And I thought, oh, to be that soldier, if I could have been the fly on the wall that day in the prison. Imagine the soldier here that has prisoner duty that day. This is only conjecture, but think about it. They're probably on rotation, and the worst job of of the soldier is when you have to get chained to the prisoner. These aren't good people that they're being chained to. They're low lives. They are, in some ways, the, 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 the lowest of society that are chained in these prisons. What a terrible job that this soldier had this day as he looks at the schedule and it's, okay, today's prison duty. Chained to criminals for an entire shift. Consider that soldier. He, he, he gets up that morning. He kisses Mrs. Soldier goodbye as he heads out of the home. He laments his day all the way as he gets to the prison for prison duty. He enters the prison and he sees this frail, weak, sickly-looking man named Paul the ambassador in chains. And I think as he spends his time with Paul that day, I can only imagine that as Paul is writing this and even getting to this, almost this very section here, Paul looks up at that Roman soldier he's chained to and smiles and shares with him the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. We know from Philippians chapter 1 that all of the Roman guard had, got, had been known that Paul was in prison for the sake of the gospel. So he's evangelizing while he's there. Consider the great day that arrives and we all are in heaven. And we see there's Paul. There's Peter. There's Edwards. There's Calvin. There's Luther. There's... Whitfield, and we come across some normal-looking fellow, which is mostly all of us. You ask this man, who are you? He says, oh, I'm nobody. 
I'm here one day because I was chained to the gospel. I would look at this and I think about the one in which Paul is an ambassador in chains. The soldier is chained to Paul. Paul is not chained to the soldier. We do not know this to be pretty sure, but we do know that Paul's imprisonment served to advance the gospel as it had been, because it had been known throughout the whole imperial guard. Paul never loosened the belt of truth. His loins were girded the whole time. He is wearing the breastplate of righteousness, for he is not in prison for doing wrong, but for the sake of righteousness. His shoes are tied tight as he is ready with the gospel of peace. He doesn't want comfort and escape, but boldness to proclaim. The shield of faith is guarding him as his current situation has served to strengthen his faith and not to weaken it. Brothers and sisters, you've gone through suffering and trials in your life. And it is through the refiner's fire of trials and suffering that our faith is strengthened. Paul is strengthened through his suffering as he leans more in dependence upon Christ. The helmet of salvation is firmly guarding his head. This is why we understand this when we realize at the end of this letter that he's in prison. Go back to the beginning and read the first chapter, the very beginning of that, and think about a man who is in prison, writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds like he's on the mountaintop here, does it not? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Only somebody that is guarding their minds, firmly rooted in their salvation in Jesus Christ could write such a thing while suffering in a Roman prison. And we know that He is wielding the sword of the Spirit because He asks that He might boldly declare the Gospel. So as we bring even now our time to a close, Christian, I want you to realize no matter the circumstances of life or the occasions or the locations, we are always to display the armor of God. The, lay, the day we lay down the sword or we take, up, take off the helmet could be the very moment of ambush. We are to persevere. We are to pray. We are to display the armor. We are to pray for boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And we must always remember that we have one that has gone before us, our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth, who is our righteousness. He himself is the gospel. The gospel is not a proposition. The gospel is not a story. It's a person. He is the prince of peace. He is the object of our faith. He is the secure of our salvation. He is the very word of God made flesh. Every piece of armor points us to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has fulfilled every piece of armor and I would encourage you put on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would help us. You would encourage us. You would convict us where we need to. Oh, that we would be a people of prayer. We thank you for the example of the apostle, 
for the boldness he prays for, that we too might be praying for such boldness and living it out. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has saved us, who lives to make intercession for us, who forgives all our iniquities, all our transgressions, all our sins. And for the joy that was set before him, will present us before him with great joy. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.